0: Hey everybody, this is Joshua Brown. Thank you for listening to the Dream Church Podcast. Before we get into this week's message, I wanted to let you know that I've just released a commentary on the book of Luke, chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 40, which is the Christmas story, and it's called A Light Has Dawn. And the reason that I did this is because I've been studying scripture and teaching scripture for years now, and the thing that I've noticed is that every English commentary, with the exception of a couple— is very Western um, agenda slanted, and of course, no matter who's doing a commentary, there's going to be agendas at play. This is, is just because we're we're humans that we we uh, commentate and we translate based on what we know and what we feel is right. So that's not necessarily an issue. The issue is is the Bible is an Eastern book, and the other issue is is that um, in the West, particularly in America. There's a lot of places where we have greatly strayed from the doctrine and the orthodoxy and the understanding, particularly of the Incarnation and the Trinity, that the early church and the early church fathers and people like St. Athanasius and others held. And so what I wanted to do was give us another viewpoint, another pair of glasses, if you will, to see this story in a way that maybe we've never seen it before. But is very orthodox according to the early church fathers and standard. So that's what this commentary is. And so if you want to pick it up, it's available today worldwide, no matter where you're listening, on Amazon.com. Or if you're in other countries, it's whatever the Amazon link is in your particular country. But it's available worldwide, paperback. It's only $9.99 there. And you can pick that up. It's 75 pages total. So it's a really quick, easy, you know, commentary to get a hold of. But it goes really deep. I talk about a lot of the Greek meanings. I talk a lot about the linguistic styling that Luke uses. Um, Anyway, if you want to pick that up, it's available on Amazon. Or you can go to joshuabrown.org and you can get all the links there. So with that said, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for your continued support of what the Lord is doing at Dream Church. Now, let's get into this week's message. I want to read John 1, and we're going to end up in Colossians 1, so I wouldn't even turn to John at this point. But um, I'm, let me just read this, because I want to just have this fresh on our minds, and then I'm going to read 1 John 4, 8, um, or I might, I might even just quote it, I'm probably not even going to read it, and then eventually we'll be in Colossians 1. So this is all stuff we've kind of bounced around, but I'm going to talk about the Trinity today. And, um, and so anyway, let me, just, let me just read this real quick and then we'll uh, we'll jump in. John 1 first 5 verses says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, j- just everybody knows this probably, but just so we're clear, when it talks about the word, it's not talking about the King James Bible or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? We're talking about Jesus. Okay. Um <laughs> in the be- how many you know there's a lot there's actually a lot of people that believe the King James Bible is the inspired word of God. You know what I'm saying? Yep, and those are the people that are also predicting the rapture is coming up. Okay, so First uh, John one, we love you. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him this is huge. Through Him all things were made, and without Him, or some translations say, apart from Him, nothing was made that has been made. Through him all things were made. Apart from him nothing was made that has been made. Say it like this Through him all things exist. Apart from him nothing exists. Why? Because in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. Sounds a lot like 1 John, because this is also the same guy. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it or cannot comprehend it or understand it or, or overcome. is a great one. So let me, let me jump ahead and read one more verse, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among, I prefer, in us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. This is huge. I know we've been talking about this for months, but but just get used to this because we're going to have to get a hold of this. So, the Word became flesh. The first five verses of John are, I mean, the most insane verses maybe of the entire scriptures. The Word was in the beginning, the Word was with God, the Word was God, he was with God in the beginning, through whom everything was made, nothing was made apart from him, he was light, he was light, and darkness cannot overcome it. Un- I mean, that is that is the gospel. So, verse John 4, 8, written by the same guy, says, um, he who does not love does not know God because God is love. The word agape, or actually it's agapeo, which is an action of agape, so preferential love. Now, let me read some stuff I've been writing, and then we're going to find our way to Colossians. But I'm not going to try to rush this, or I'm going to try my best not to rush this. So here we go. In creation, we have two identities at play. We have two identities at play. We have mankind as one. We've been talking about this. And then we have the Trinitarian God. And truthfully, we actually only have one at play, which is mankind within the Trinitarian God. Let me read this quote from Karl Rahner. He was a, a Catholic theologian, but this quote is amazing. Check this out. He says, We, meaning us in the West, we must be willing to admit that should the doctrine of the Trinity have to be dropped as false, listen to this, the major part of religious literature today could well remain virtually unchanged. Let me read this one more time, because I want you to think about this. We, in the West, we have to be willing to admit that should the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, United in One, should the doctrine of the Trinity have to be dropped as false? Should it be proved that that's not actually the case, that that's not actually reality, that there's really only one God, or there's three different gods that are completely different, whatever the case may be? Should that ever be proven, which it won't be, but if it was, we have to face the fact, and we must be willing to admit, that the major part of our religious literature, what we know about God, our theology, would well remain virtually unchanged. Think about this. If, if, if we found the third letter to the Corinthians from Paul, um, which I believe we have the third letters included in the two, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. But say we found another letter from Paul. And in that letter, he said, anybody who says that God is three in one, forget that. That's not true. It's actually, and then he went on to explain something other than the Trinity. We have to be willing to face the fact that if that were the case, our theology would basically be the same. Like nothing would really change. Right? Okay, this is a, I mean, this is a major issue. We need a theology that doesn't just acknowledge the Trinity, but is contingent on it. This is yet another reason why the West can so easily put God against man. So easy to do this, because to us, the Trinity is one unique topic of theology, right? And everyone with a couple of ounces of brain power acknowledges and believes in the Trinity. Even if you ask people who aren't in church, who don't believe in God, do you think God, the God of the Christians or whatever, do you think God exists in the Trinity relationships? Most of the time they would say, yeah. Yeah. That's not an issue. Everybody acknowledges that. Every denomination says that. That's great. But the issue is, is that the Trinity cannot be and is not a compartmentalized theological point. It is the necessary foundation for any and every theological point. You don't know grace if you don't know Trinity. You don't know reconciliation if you don't know the Trinity. You don't know love if you don't know the Trinity. The, the past, let me, let me just, I'm about to go to Colossians 1, but in Colossians 1, Paul gives us an idea that I want you to hang on to, and then I'm going to chase a little rabbit, and then we're going to come back around to He gives us the idea that in the beginning, we were three things, created in God, through God, and for God. Okay? So Colossians 1:15 says the son is the visible image of the invisible God. Colossians 2:9 says in Christ the fullness of the godhead lives in bodily form. Right? So when we see Jesus, we don't just see the son. When we see Jesus, we see Father, son and spirit represented in Jesus. Right? I'm gonna, just try your best to wrap your mind around this. This is massive. The reason it's dangerous and wrong to have any theology that compartmentalizes the Trinity is because if you do, you can separate, which we have done, you can separate Father, Son, and Spirit, depending on whatever passage you're reading in Scripture, and see them uniquely without one another. Okay? Now, why is that dangerous? Because what happens when you do that is you can easily transition to seeing us uniquely without God. Which is where separation, penal substitution, atonement, etc., all that comes from. At their core, is missing the heartbeat of Trinitarian relationship. And I'm going to explain all this, okay? Father, Son, and Spirit are individual expressions of one relational substance. That's my definition of the Trinity. Father son and spirit are individual expressions of one relational substance so you have 3 identified as one due to the relationship that is bonded by this 1 John 4:8 God is love now when I, when i read 1 John 4:8 God is love over the past few months when i say God is love this maybe this is just me maybe y'all have way better theology and understanding than i got but when I say God is love, the, the thing I picture in my mind is one being who is love. And maybe I'm alone. Am I alone? Do you guys kind of picture that? If I say God is love, I picture, because of how you know, just, I've grown up or whatever, I picture one person sitting on a throne, that is God, and that person being love. Now, there's so many issues with that, right? I mean, obviously. But that's just what we naturally tend to see. We see G-O-D, big G, G G-O-D, as one person. Typically, typically, that's the father. We don't say that. We don't even understand that. But typically, that's what we're saying, right? But John says, God is love. Maybe, to help our understanding, we could even say, God are love. What is he saying? He's saying, agape is to prefer, preferential love. God is preferential love. Each, Father, Son, Spirit, preferring the other at any cost that creates such a united spin that it is identified as one. So while we, it is perfectly correct to see God as one, there's scripture that says that. What is not okay is for us to look at the one and not see the three that are joined in relationship in the one. Y'all with me? Am I losing y'all? If I am, just pretend like I'm not. C. Baxter Kruger says this. I'm going to really misquote this because he said this in an interview. I didn't have it written down. But he said, when Adam lost his mind, the fall we call. When Adam lost his mind, the father didn't say, all right, son, get ready. You're about to take a beating. You know what I'm saying? No, no. When Adam lost his mind, the son looked at father and spirit and said, I'm going to go get him back. And the father said, I've got your back. And the spirit said, I'm not missing out on this. Huh, right? It, God didn't say, Somebody, somebody's got to get it. So it's either going to be them or it's going to be you. Any, mini money mo, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? No. When man fell, Paul, I've, I've said this so many times I don't even know how to, Paul, I mean Peter and John both say Jesus was the lamb crucified from the foundation of the earth. At the minute an announcement, let there be light was made, the son said, if this thing goes a different way, I'm going to get them back. And the father said, if you're going to get them back, I'm going to be right there with you. And the spirit said, I'm not missing out on this. I got you back too and the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily in Christ that was reconciling the world to himself, not keeping record of man's wrongs, right? We must understand and know that God is not one individual, but three individuals united in relationship as one. Why? Because that relationship, the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, Becomes the revelation of our relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and each other. It is impossible to see God as we have seen God in the past, okay, within the understanding of the Trinity. It's impossible to see God like we have our whole lives once we understand the Trinity. Because as I've been teaching, We believe, this is kind of the, this is the the summary of Western theology. We believe that sin separated us from God, that God got mad, sent Jesus so that he could separate himself from Jesus and forsake him and let him go alone into the pits of hell and then raise victorious so that he can separate himself even more now from those who don't repeat the prayer. Our, Our entire Western theology is laced in separation. That's all we believe. Sin separated. So God separated himself from Jesus. And then Jesus separated himself from the Father so much that he had to say, Father, why did you forsake me? Jesus went through the torture of the cross completely alone with Father and Spirit somewhere in a distant, floaty, Plato-Greek heaven. Right? And while he's floating around doing his thing playing a harp, Jesus is getting the snot beat out of him because he's angry. And not only that, the Father said, You have fun seeing the pits of hell and let him go. This is what we believe. And Jesus, thank God, came out on the other side, raised up, and now we have life. But now, see, before Jesus, before Jesus, if you don't agree with God, or if you don't like how this thing plays out, before that, you know what you get? You get a little bit of exile, and then you get redemption. That's what Israel got. Now, on the other side of Jesus, we believe, not only is there no exile and redemption, it's you're going to get beat like God always wanted to beat you before because all he's ever wanted is separation from you because you're nasty. Oh, well, brother, that's that's a little exaggerative. It is, but this is what we believe, right? Here's the issue: is that the the idea, the idea of missing at the core of everything that we believed is Father, Son, and Spirit that are identified. John says as preferential love, God is love, and are so united that Jesus says in John 17, 21, when he's praying, he says to the father, I am in you and you are in me, and that's before the cross. They are so united that when he is praying with flesh on his body, in human nature, he prays and he says, "I pray that they'll be just as united as us. I'm in you, and you are in me." Okay, take it a little bit further. Malachi three six says, "I, the Lord, do not change." Uh oh. So, the the thing required for us to believe that at the cross Jesus was forsaken. Right, and I'll re- I'll repeat I'll repeat the reason why I'm saying this because some of you are like, wait a minute, Jesus says, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll fix that in a second. But we the problem with us believing that Jesus on the cross and God completely turns his back on him. There's one issue. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not keeping in Christ the fullness of the Godhead dwelled. If God forsakes Jesus, God forsakes Himself because He's in Jesus. Huh? Or, so either that's the case, either God somehow rejects himself or the Father and the Spirit separate themselves from the Son. Which is fine as long as we delete Malachi 3.6 out of Scripture which says, as the Lord, don't change. So if Father, Son, and Spirit are separated at the cross, that means they've always had to be separated. And if they've always had to be separated, suddenly you start... ripping stuff out of your, you know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, the early church fathers lost their mind. All of a sudden, the people that got their heads blown off or pulled apart because they believed in this thing were wrong, but they weren't. So maybe they saw something that you and I have never seen before, which is the Trinity is not just the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. It's the prophetic announcement of our relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And not only our relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit, it's a prophetic announcement of our relationship with each other. Okay. So, then, once we get that revelation, we get the one above all revelations, which is in Isaiah 14, when Isaiah prophesies, and Matthew confirms later, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him, or you will call him, Emmanuel, which is God, Father, Son, and Spirit, with us. This is major, major, because Father, Son, and Spirit met us in the darkness that we caused and said, this is not where you originate, this is not who you are, and this is not what your purpose is. I read this quote from Athanasius, and I'm not going to read it today. So go back and listen to it if you missed it. But Athanasius, the early church father, 336, whatever, AD, he said when he's talking about Jesus, talking about the Trinity, talking about everything that happened, he says it would be unholy, it would be unrighteous for God to let the creatures that he created drift off into oblivion. That wouldn't say anything about the creatures. It would say everything about the limitation of God himself who created them that he created something that he wasn't able to get back, right? And Athanasius says, obviously, that's not the case. So what is the case is from the very beginning, there was a plan that even if we go astray, he's going to come around the corner and remind us this isn't who you are and bring us home. Uh, Unreal, okay? So they meet us. Emmanuel, God with us. We talked about this a little bit Tuesday night about Christmas and um, you know different holidays because we've been in them so often they just kind of become like numb. You know, it's like, hey, Amen, God with us. No, no, no. I don't think you understand, right? God so desired His creation, me and you particularly, that He was willing to become not just our perfection, to become. Paul says, our sin to wake us up and remind us your sin is not who you are. Okay? So let me go to Colossians. Let me go to Colossians. I'm going to read this from two translations, and the other one is way better. But I'm going to read from the NIV first so nobody will get mad. NIV, Colossians 1, and um, I'm going to just read verses 13 through 22. 22. I might go a little bit further in the other one, but Colossians 1, 13 through 22. Now, I want you to hear this. This is unreal. 13, for he, Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Or he, excuse me, the Father. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Awesome. But check this out. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. That's huge. What Paul is saying is the Son contained not only Father, Son, and Spirit, the Son contained humanity as well. That's why God with us is such a crucial and unreal revelation. That Father, Son, and Spirit the minute that Jesus was conceived with flesh became Father, Son, Spirit, and humanity as it was before there was ever a bite of a piece of fruit. So so in Christ was the fullness of deity, of the Godhead, and also in Christ was the fullness of flesh. So in Christ, the fullness of God and the fullness of humanity are met in one. So God with us is also, as I said last week, us with God. And it's all in Christ. Salvation is Christ. Salvation comes from Christ because salvation is Christ. Faith comes from Christ because faith is Christ. Amen. Okay. So the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Him, here's the word in, in Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created, here it is, through him and for him, okay? So in, through, for. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased, check this out, To have all of his fullness dwell in him. Not just that. And through him to reconcile to himself everything. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That, I mean, is unbelievable. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. let me let me back up let me back up. for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. there it is, Trinity found in Jesus. And through him, okay, he became the instrument by which God reconciled to himself all things, and then Paul goes a little bit deeper, things on earth and things in heaven. What in heaven needed to be reconciled? Huh? I mean, through Christ... He reconciled everything to himself on earth and in heaven. What in heaven needed to be reconciled? The thing that was lost on earth. What was the thing lost on earth? You and I. Lord, 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 Lord. The moment in creation where the Trinitarian spin created space and plopped us right there in the middle of that space... In that moment, God chose to define his fullness by including you. Therefore, when you're missing from that spin, God, by definition of his own mouth, is no longer fulfilled, which means God's space, heaven, is no longer fulfilled. So in Christ, he didn't need to come beat the snot out of us because we messed up. He needed to reconcile what was missing within himself and his own world too. We were lost. I'm about, I'm about to say something. I'm going to get in so much trouble for it. You ready? We were lost. But because we were lost, he was lost. Not a sinner. Because that's not even what I defined us as being lost as. God was not a sinner. And if I could help you, neither are you. This story is not about somebody who acted wrong, and therefore they're identified by their actions, so God had to come fix some actions. This entire story is about there was something that happened in that spin that spun you out of it and in it and through it that when we lost our way, God said the only way for us to get back to fullness is to make sure we go bring them back into this spin. Right? Um okay, so let me read this from the from the from another translation. Uh Brandon, don't laugh. Brandon laughs at all my books I got, so <sighs> that's okay. All right, and then he asked to borrow them. Um <laughs> let me let me read this, okay? Now this if y'all thought that was bad, wait till you hear this. In him, the image and likeness of God is made visible in human form in order that everyone may recognize their true origin in Him. He is the firstborn of every creature. Everything that is begins in Him, whether in the heavenly realm or upon the earth, visible or invisible. He is the original blueprint of every order of justice, every level of authority, be it kingdom or governments, principalities, jurisdictions. The original Form of all things were founded by him and created for him he is the initiator of all things therefore everything finds its relevance and its true pattern only in him right he's the initiator of all things the word authority you've heard me teach this before comes from author right So the only person who has authority over anything is the one who authored it or created it or that it originated in, right? So because he is the author of all things, all things were created through him. Because of that, every single thing finds its true pattern and originality only in him. Let me take this a step further. How many of us originated in the devil None of us. That's not a trick question. Like you know, the devil didn't say, "Let us make man in our image." You know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? The devil has zero, whether or not you submit to him, or, has zero authority to identify you, because he is not your author. Christ is, and by Christ, I'm not just talking about the Son. I'm talking about Father and Son and Spirit, right? The Father, Son, and Spirit are the only ones who have any authority to identify you because you originated in them. You didn't originate in the devil. So the only thing the devil could do is get you to think that you are not who you actually really are, which is the one who authored you that identified you as, right? So so the devil can't change your name, but the devil can get you to think your name is not your real name. And what Christ came to do is to remind us, that's not it, this is who you really are. This is what your name is. This is where you originated. And that's why when the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all those see Jesus, they flock to him because there's something pouring off of his life that doesn't just scream, you're forgiven for all your wrongs. It absolutely does. But the reason you're forgiven for all your wrongs is because he came to get you back. If Vader ran away, she would absolutely be in trouble for running away. Right, But the reason that I would go to find her is not because I'm going to punish her for running away. The reason I'm going to find her is because she belongs at home. So she might be punished so that she doesn't run away again. But my purpose in going to get her is not to reconcile her sin. It's to reconcile her back into right relationship. Lord, I'm about to just lay hands or something. All right. Verse 18, the ecclesia, church, is the visible expression, the body, of which Jesus is the head. He is the principal rank of authority who leads the triumphant procession of our new birth out of the region of the dead. His preeminent rank is above and beyond threat. The message translation right there says that Jesus was leading the resurrection parade. Unreal. Verse 119, um, or verse 19, chapter one. God is fully at home in him. I want you to hear this. Jesus exhibits God's happy delight to be human. The word delightful intent, let me just read this, this footnote, is the word "eudokeo" in Greek. And the word literally means so spacious. He's so roomy. That God finds everything in its proper place in him without crowding. That's what that word means. Unreal. Verse 20. He initiated the reconciliation of all things to himself. Through the blood of the cross, God restored the original harmony. That's the heaven and earth. Okay? He restored the original harmony. His reign of peace now extends to every visible thing upon the earth as well as those invisible things which are in the heavenly realm. Your indifferent mindset alienated you from God into a lifestyle of annoyances and hardships and labors, works. Yet, he has now fully reconciled and restored you to your original design. 120. He accomplished this in dying our death in a human body. He fully represented us in order to fully present us again in blameless innocence, face to face with God, with no sense of guilt, suspicion, regret, or accusation, all charges against us are officially dropped. Verse 23, remained under the influence of what your faith knows to be true about you, firmly consolidated in the foundation of your beliefs so that nothing can distract you from the expectation of the gospel. A hope that is consistent with what you have heard. Just as I, Paul, am, am in the missionary, excuse me, in the ministry, to proclaim the one and only message that rings true with resonance in all of creation under heaven. Okay. Now, reconciled everything to its original. Harmony. I love, 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 love that. That is just so good. So, we have such a hard time knowing who we are because we really don't know who God is. We spend so much time discussing Jesus, which we should. It's amazing. But we don't know Jesus unless we also know Father and Spirit. I mean, how many of y'all have ever said, When in praying, you know, spirit. I love you. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? We don't do that. Sometimes we'll do Abba. And you know it's funny. I talk to a lot of people that when they say Abba, they're talking about Jesus. And like, no, 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 there's you know, there's Jesus the Son and there's Abba the Father, blah 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 blah. But that's neither here nor there. But we, we, in our church, like, we grew up talking about Jesus nonstop, which we should. He's name above every name, absolutely, right? The problem is, is we didn't even know who Jesus was because we never halfway explored who the Father was and the Spirit was, and in Christ contained all three. So if we know Jesus the Son, but we don't know Abba the Father and Spirit the breath, then we only know portions about Jesus, Let me. Let me. Uh, I do. I do want to chase a little rabbit for a second. I do want to chase a little rabbit. <clears throat> we um, went to Soda City yesterday, and uh, did anybody go to Soda City yesterday? Okay. So I didn't. I didn't know. And i want to say this real cautiously. I guess but I. I didn't know it was. Um, we have a lot of Pride weeks in Columbia. A lot. I think every week is Pride week. I'm pretty sure. Um, had a lot of prod weeks. And um, anyway, and so uh, we just had a prod month like three months ago, so I had no idea it was prod month again. And, um, and so anyway, so we were at uh, Soda City, and uh, I guess it was Soda Prod Day again. And um, so anyway, so we were walking through, and uh, and of course, Veda was like, oh, you know, it was all the rainbow flag stuff. and stuff. Uh, and I was like, wait a minute. Where's Soda City? You know, like because it was just all like you know, and um and so we passed like the block of the you know prod stuff, and then we went into actual Soda City, and uh, and the prod area was deserted, and then you get into Soda City, you can't even walk. There's so many people, and um anyway, and so uh but I I, I observed a couple of things. Number one, um no, nope, I'm not going to discuss that. Number two was um <laughs> number two was there was three there was three types of people at Soda City yesterday. Three types of people. There was uh the the pride people and then there were the uh super 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 religious people there who were saying all the pride people were Satan and which I felt a little bit better that they weren't calling me Satan for a change. But um I'm just kidding. And um anyway, I was like, my people, you know. But um so we had so we had that and then we had the you know the religious people that were saying hey and then we had the other i guess end of the spectrum we had other church people there that um were uh for lack of a better term encouraging people to um chase that lifestyle and um and just, I mean I just overheard a couple of conversations of like pastors uh, one conversation of a, a girl who uh, I think from the little bit that I got has Kind of been like I'm not sure I'm kind of on the fence, and this I guess pastor or person that worked with the church was like encouraging them like to go all in in that lifestyle and um and so you had these three just like completely polarized groups of people and, and then you had another group of people that were dressed in purple robes saying mother israel i I don't know what that was about, but they were screaming something too, and um I don't know where they were, but anyway and um but it, it hit me number one, I was I was shocked by the fact we, so, I, okay, we walked by, Richland County was doing a story time, which Veda loves story time, and so I was like, this is amazing, like, you know, story time, blah, 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 and as we're walking by, it was a it was a drag story time, you know, which, you know, we're talking about half a percent of Columbia's population probably, but um, it was a drag story time, and they were teaching these kids to chant, love is love, and kind of encouraging them to follow a gay lifestyle. And um, kid, like two-year-old kids. And so anyway, so I was walking by, and I was like, okay, you know, uh, so there's so many different things I could chase down on this rabbit. But the, the biggest thing that I, I realized was that, um, the, A, there was a complete absence of any truth whatsoever from anybody. And B. It was so, I realized how ingrained in our thinking works are, right? Because you had the religious people saying, like, you need to do this and you'll be this. You had the other people saying, you need to do this so that you can be you. You had this group of people saying, this is who I am because this is what I do. And it's ingrained in how we think. But at no, none of them, at no point, was there any conversation of, but who are we really? You know what I'm saying? And and there is a a major line in passivity and love. Major line. And our culture seems to have confused love with being completely passive. You know what I'm saying? Like just live your truth. No, 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 just to be clear. There's only there's one truth. There's just one, and his name is Jesus, right? Right? But The problem is, is our culture doesn't know that Jesus. Our culture knows the Jesus that we've presented, which says God beats the snot out of people he doesn't agree with. Right? Jesus, prime suspect. And so, prime candidate. And it just, on the way home, my heart was just breaking for so many different reasons. But the the primary one was that there's no sense in anything that we do of us trying to figure out what truth actually is you know what i'm saying there is your truth which is you understand that there's so many issues with that thinking you know what i'm saying there is remove jesus out of the picture in reality there's one truth no matter what you're talking about of anything all right the sky is blue that's the only truth the sky is not purple, the sky is not red. It depends on the day, I guess. But at, at, the, at the bottom line, the truth is the sky is blue, period, right? So your truth is irrelevant. There's one truth, the sky is blue. So whether or not you believe it's green or purple or red or orange, it's blue, right? Right? And so what we have done is we've tried to cater to different people's points of view rather than showing people the way, the truth, and the life found in Jesus, not by way of being harsh and being punishing, but by way of us knowing who we are so that we can be the first fruits of them knowing who they are, right? So the guys spouting off their religious stuff, didn't have a clue who they were. They didn't have a clue who God was from the stuff I was listening to. And therefore, they're trying to bring them to a truth that actually is not truth. It doesn't exist, right? Which is why there is internal resistance to a group of people that believes they have truth. But I guarantee you, if there was ever a moment where truth actually entered the picture, there's something in the guts of every human being that says, that's it. And that's why the prostitutes and that's why the tax collectors and that's why the homosexual and all those people were so attracted to Jesus and were so not attracted to the Pharisees. You know what I'm saying? And it's not because Jesus said you do you, you be you. No, he went to the woman at the well and said, "You need to stop doing this. But when you stop doing this, you come be mine." You know what I'm saying? That's why the woman who is about to get stoned, he goes, he tells all the religious people, throw the first stone, if you've never sinned, they all walk away. And he doesn't say, hey, just keep doing you, it's all good. No, he says, go and sin no more. And somehow that set her free. It's because truth entered the picture. But it didn't enter the picture in saying, hey, I've never sinned, so I'm going to stone you. Because that's what the law says. No, he entered the picture and said, I'm not going to stone you, I'm going to give you life. But the way that you live in that life is to let go of the delusion that you think is life. That's evangelism. Evangelism is not getting people to repeat a prayer, evangelism is getting people to realize who they really are. And you might do that by way of repeating a prayer, you might do that by way of giving out a $1,000 gospel track that's not a real $1,000 bill. I guarantee you that's probably not gonna work. We used to do that, and we got a lot more hate than we got love. You know what I'm <laughs> we used to go to restaurants and we didn't have money for a tips so we'd leave a thousand dollar track or million it was a million dollar million dollar gospel track that looked like a million dollar bill if that even exists and then they suddenly realized it was nothing so um they never came to church but that you know what I mean but that's just like that's' it's, it's, we could do that or we could be the first fruits among the living y- y'all tell me so that's my tangent. why am I saying that? because what I really want to talk about is this idea that Paul brings in, which is that we were created in him, through him and for him. in two verses, two verses, one verse excuse me verse 16, Paul says, in him all things were created that includes you and I in heaven and on earth visible invisible thrones, powers, etc. all things have been created through and for. And as he said before, in. Okay, the word in, Paul's saying, in him all things were created, is a word of origin. Okay? So you and I originated in him. Okay? You and I originated within the God spin. Y'all with me? That's in. All things being created through is an identity. Image and likeness, okay? We were created through. The example I was thinking of this week as I was writing this was, uh, y'all know the, because I love food. So, you know the fondant chocolate fountains, right? So, if you take a piece of pineapple, strawberry, whatever, and you put it on a stick, and then you stick that through this fountain of chocolate, suddenly that fruit is identified by what it just went through chocolate, right? So, you don't say, hey, here's some pineapple. You say, this is chocolate covered pineapple, right? So the identity of the thing that went through this fondant fountain has changed by way of what it went through, right? So us being created through him is us being given an image and likeness that is of what we've been created through him, okay? This is who we really are, okay? So in origin, through identity, who we really are, and this is the other one, and for him. This is our purpose. Everybody's looking for your purpose. Here we go. You ready? I haven't preached a self help message my entire life. This is the closest thing we're ever gonna get. This is your purpose. You ready? This is your dream, your destiny. What's the other word they use? Your assignment. This is your assignment? All right, ready? God bless us. <laughs> and you, ever, you know what an assignment is? Like when you're in school and you have to do homework, a homework assignment. Like, I don't want an assignment. I, just, I don't have an assignment. You know what I'm saying? Assignment something you got to do by a deadline or you fail. So maybe that's why. Maybe that's why a lot of pastors are quitting because they think they got an assignment and they don't. They got a purpose. Let's tweet that. All right. So created <laughs> through and for this is purpose. This is what we are made for. We're made for what? For Him. Now check this out. This is so cool. Because we originated in Him. And because we are identified by a God who is preferential love, our true and natural purpose is likewise preferential love for God, thus for those around us. Do you all get this? We we originated in the spin, which means you can't leave. You, You originated in this spin. Not just us, everything. You go to the mountains of Montana or you go to the pits of Australia. Wherever you go, you're in him because everything was created in him. Amen? There's nowhere. David says, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I'm on the earth, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. Salah. (laughs) Right? That's not me. It's David. So this is what David, there's nowhere I could go. He says, where could I go from your presence? Nowhere you could go, right? So we're created in that origin. We're created in the spin. That's where we're located. Through is an identity. What is the identity? John says in 1 John 4a, God is. Not God loves, not God so loved, not God really likes to love. God is love. He's identified by love. What love? Agape, preference. Which means you and I, at our core, if we're created in the image and likeness of a God who is preferential love, is preferential love. Which is why it feels amazing when you do something for somebody else that costs you something. You ever notice that at Christmas? Like if you see a family that's struggling and you decide, you know what, because we do this every Christmas, we're going to pay for all of your gifts this year. It feels amazing. Why? Because that is our original purpose. is to prefer when you tithe, it costs you a good bit of money, right? But you feel great about it, not because you've done your religious duty, but because you have in that action preferred God over yourself. And everything in your spirit, Holy Spirit, is saying this is who you are. See, it's, it's not God doesn't need your tithe, right? But we use the tithe as another as another way for us to show this preferential love. You tithing is you living in your purpose, which is to prefer God over yourself, right? So that's what we're created for. And because we were originated and are identified by that, our purpose at its basic natural level is to love God, not just, you know, hey, God, I love you, buddy. It's to prefer God. It's to prefer his ways. It's to prefer how he moves and... Because every other human being around us was created in that to love everybody around us in the same preference. Okay, let me read this quote from you. If I'm, if I'm, here's my phone. <clears throat> I didn't want to write this because I just didn't want to write it. So um, here we go. My phone. Here. Let me read this quote for you. Christian faith is not something that we do that gets us connected to God or gets us into the circle of life shared by the Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus Christ has already done that. Faith is not something that we do that moves us from unforgiven column to the forgiven column. That was done by Jesus. Faith is not something we do that gets us reconciled, justified, included, adopted, redeemed, and saved. Jesus Christ has already done all of that. The fundamental character of Christian faith Is that of discovery? Faith, as Luther, Martin Luther said, is like the eye. It does not create what it sees, it sees what is there. Is that, that's good, right? Martin Luther, okay? Let me just, can I just read this one more time? Okay, thanks. Brandon, are you writing this down? No, you're not. Okay. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to write this down, I'm just playing. Christian faith is not something that we do that gets us connected to God or gets us into the circle. Jesus has already done that. He's already done that. Faith is not something that we do that moves us from unforgiven to forgiven. Jesus has already done that. Faith is not something that we do that gets us reconciled, justified, included, adopted, redeemed, and saved. Jesus Christ has already done all of that. So what is faith? Faith as Luther says is like the eye. It does not create what it sees. It sees what is already there. Your eyeballs do not create the things that you see. Your eyes process things that are already there. Most of which were there before you ever laid eyes on them. Right? So what faith is because remember what I what I've been teaching about faith. Faith Pistis is from God that we activate by saying yes and trust, okay? We don't create faith, but we can sure use faith by way of trust. So what is faith? Faith is opening our eyes to the reality that is in front of us, not creating the reality that is in front of us, right? So when we pray for the sick, us having too much or not enough faith is not an issue. We can't create too much or not enough faith. It doesn't come from us. Right, So when we pray for the sick, this is just an example, what we're doing is opening our eyes to what Abba, to what Jesus, and to what Spirit is doing in this moment that we say yes to. It's seeing what is there, not creating something that's not there. So, so what do people, that's why I say all the time, salvation is not you repeating a prayer. Salvation is when you leave the doors of wherever you repeat the prayer in, and all of a sudden you see everything in a whole new world because you start to see that you're not scum. That's salvation. It's not repeating a prayer so that you can make it to heaven. It's you believing you are who you are, so maybe heaven can be here. The reason it's so imperative for us to move from a gospel of works to a gospel of reconciliation is that you and I, by definition, cannot be who you and I really are as long as we're trying to earn who we are. That's not faith. Faith is not the belief that leads to you being reconciled. Faith is the discovery and subsequent life from the truth that we've already been reconciled. Let me say what reconcile means. Reconciled means to exchange. Talked about this last week. But atonement is the method of reconciliation, okay? And the word atonement means essentially at one again. You're made one again. You're made right, okay? So our gospel of works says that we've got to reconcile ourselves. And we do that by reading our Bible every day and repeating this prayer and showing up at church, blah, 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 okay? That's what our gospel says. But the gospel of Jesus containing Father, Son, and Spirit, says, I've reconciled you, now let's get back to our dance. So when you're trying to spin out your days, earning and earning and earning and earning, all of a sudden, you're missing out on what you actually are made for because you're trying to accomplish something that, oh, by the way, has already been accomplished which is why you trying to accomplish it never works because it's already been done. If you if you win this I used to say in my book, if you win the Super Bowl and then 2 weeks later you start practicing for the Super Bowl, it's dumb. You already won the Super Bowl. You practicing your tail off day in and day out will not change the fact that you already won the Super Bowl and oh by the way, there's not another Super Bowl coming up. That the season's over. So what you're really doing is you're burning it and burning it and burning it for something that is completely mythical. It's already been done. You already won the Super Bowl, right? So this is Christianity. It's not us working our way into heaven. It's us realizing that we've been reconciled. Therefore, our lives can and should be completely different than what we think our lives are by way of working our way in. If Veda thought... That the way that she became our daughter was by acting like our daughter, she would never have fun. She would never feel the grace to mess up. She would never feel that. She knows it's not right to draw on our walls with a crayon. She still does it sometimes. And here's the thing she doesn't understand. Me and Jordan aren't erasing that. Let me say it like this. Her mess ups... Become the artwork in our house that says she's our daughter that's really good. your past is not something that God looks at and says my lord I wish I could undo that your past is what God looks at and says that's proof of how much I love them if they did that and I still did this, they better understand what I really think about them. Your, your. Let me, let me go a little deeper. Your sin, your sin, was not God looking at it, saying, "All right, they, I didn't think they could be that bad." But my Lord, we've got to go rescue this. Your sin, as I said last week, I believe, was just a prophetic announcement of the measure of grace that was increasing all the more over you. Where sin increased, grace increased the more. So every time the enemy throughout your life thought he was getting the upper hand, all he was doing was announcing the measure of grace that was overflowing in your life. That's it. I'm I'm telling y'all, this thing is way better than we ever thought. We, We thought we could work our way out of it but we never worked our way into it. And let me tell you something. You never left it. And that is hard for people to grasp. That is hard. Man, I I know what my past was like, and I know I was not, I know I wasn't following God. Yeah, but he was following you. I let me I said this Tuesday night. In Luke 15, and I'm gonna try my best not to read this. But in Luke 15, and if you were here Tuesday, don't give it away. But in Luke 15, I have struggled my I mean for years. In Luke 15, and I've told the Lord, if you could have given a parable where in the prodigal son's story, the father chased after the son rather than waiting for him to come home, that would help me so much in teaching this. Because in the first story, the lost sheep, the shepherd goes and finds the sheep. In the story of the lost coin, the woman goes and finds the coin. But then if you read the prodigal son's story, the father's sitting back on his couch waiting for the son to come home. So that's a huge issue. I've, I've seen people in the reform movement, blessed brothers, um, teach that that is proof of this penal substitutionary atonement theory. Which is, if you don't do right, and if you don't get back right, then the father ain't coming to get you. you got to make your way back home. I've heard that talk. Here's one issue. The father, in Luke 15, absolutely does chase after a son. But it wasn't the one who ran away. It was the one that was at home that thought he was good. Do you see this? At least the younger son had the guts to come home. The father didn't need to chase after the younger son because he knew where he was. The son knew where home was. The younger son knew where home was. The older son, even though he was living at home, had no clue where home was. So the father goes out to the field to get him. And what does he say? He goes out to the field and he says, aren't you coming into the party too? So, so th- this is, I mean, I'm telling you, this idea of the father and of the son and of the spirit is bigger than anything that we have ever taught, anything that we've ever thought about what the Trinity is. Because it's not just a theology of who God is, what it really is at the core is a the theology of who we are too, right? The reason we know what atonement Jesus came to accomplish is because we know the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. God did not separate. So let me, let me, let me remind you of this. When Jesus says, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Hebrew, uh, Jesus was not saying God forsake him. God forsook him. Is that right? Forsook, forsaked Forsaked, forsake. Anyway. So that that's not what he's saying. What he's what he's doing is in Hebrew they all memorize the psalms, okay? All the Jews would have memorized the psalms, most of them would have. And so the way in Hebrew when you would when you would speak the first psalm of a psalm, right? The first verse, the first part of a psalm, it would trigger the entire psalm's memory in your mind so that the reality of what was in that psalm would be brought up to your memory. Jesus, when he says, God, my God, why have you forsaken me, quotes the first part of a psalm that would have triggered every single person in the audience watching to start going through that psalm, which is about, oh, reconciliation. So we've said... Well, see, the father forsaked him. No, he didn't. In fact, Jesus quoting that was not him saying the father forsaked him. It was him saying the father's actually never forsaken me, even though you think he has. Even though it looks like he has. Even though there's been moments where I have wondered, I know for a fact, that the Father and the Spirit and the Son in this man, Jesus, is reconciling not just the earth, but everything missing in the heavens because of what is missing on the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was never God created the earth and boom, 45 billion light years out of the way, there's heaven. You know what I'm saying? No, it was in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And God's walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, and Adam and Eve are walking with God, and heaven and earth is completely overlapped in a reality that is one. Go figure. You know what I'm saying? What happens when Adam and Eve fall, which Matt said this Tuesday night, that's actually not in the Scripture. The word fall is nowhere in there. We, that's something we've come up with. They fell where? Where They fall, fall to the ground. You know what I'm saying? But, but when Adam and Eve fell... Heaven didn't say, and then start separating itself. They lost eyes to see the reality of the overlap. So what happens? When God commands Moses and the Israelites to build the temple, they put the Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant? It is the enthronement of God with his people. So in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, heaven and earth overlapped. When you walk into the Holy of Holies, you're standing in the middle of heaven and earth overlapping, right? When Jesus dies, the veil is torn that leads to the Holy of Holies and suddenly heaven and earth and the reality of heaven and earth being overlapped is a reality again that we have our eyes open to called the kingdom of God. You see what I'm saying? And so there's just, but, but that requires us to have an understanding of the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Because if we see God as existing in a completely unified spin that we were created within and through and for, suddenly it is illegal for us to see ourselves in any shape, way, or form than included in a preferential love that refuses to live without us. Are y'all good? Uh, so so here's, what, here's what we need to do with this. I'm, I'm just about done. Matt, you can go, go ahead and come up here. Because um, I didn't have a ton today. I really just wanted to focus on this. So here's, here's what we've got to do, though. I, I want to just challenge you that this week, when you're in the secret place, I want you to start having a mind for Father, Son, and Spirit. Like, you're not just spending time with Jesus you're spending time with Father, Son, and Spirit. Like when you're praying, yes, Jesus is absolutely our mediator, all that stuff. But through Jesus, in Jesus, you find Father, Son, and Spirit spinning. So when you sit down with Jesus, you're not sitting down with the Son, you're sitting down with Father, Son, and Spirit represented in the Son. Do you see what I'm saying? They are inseparable. Where one is, they all are right so that that is the mystery of this Trinity that they could be operating completely in an individual expression and yet all three be present and so unified that it's one now what if what if the church if I can get this thing around what if the church started living in a relationship that we don't just, Mirror that back to God, but we start mirroring that to each other. Where when people look into this place, they don't see a bunch of individuals that get together every Sunday. They see one. With a bunch of individual expressions. What happens? And then we take that a step further, and now when people look at Columbia... They don't see a bunch of individual people living in a city called Columbia. They see a bunch of people identified as one because of the unity of the spin. But you know what I mean? And this, to me, if I'm being completely honest with you, I say this stuff and it sounds like a pipe dream. Like there is no way. There's no way that could happen. That's what the early church thought, and within 20 years, the known world was evangelized. You know what I'm saying? Within 20 years, the entire world, most of which had no clue who Yahweh was, was not just told who Yahweh was. They were in on what Yahweh was doing. I mean, this is the power of a group of people. There was 120 upper them. This is the power of the group of people saying, this does not sound like anything that the Pharisees said, but it sure feels right. I, I, was, I was praying over this this week. And, um, and as I was praying over this, I just, I could feel what I imagine Martin Luther felt right before he nailed those 99 theses. And it's as I'm writing this stuff and praying through this stuff and hearing what the Lord's teaching you guys, it's twofold. It's, dear Lord, how are we holding this? And dear Lord, we've got to tell everybody about this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, imagine Martin Luther, that that the whole religious system is built on you paying for your money, paying for your salvation or Doing this or doing this and you're in and all that stuff. And suddenly Martin Luther's reading the book of Romans and Paul's saying, no, it's not about what you do. It's not about your work. It's about what your faith says. Right? And him realizing, oh my Lord, we have all these people that believe and trust, but they don't have enough money to pay for their salvation. So they don't think that they're in or whatever. And he nails these 99 theses and gets brutally persecuted for it. He ends up later in his life losing his ever-loving mind. But the point is, is that I just feel the Lord buzzing in this. It's almost like for centuries, or maybe at least for decades, the Lord has desired to pour out a revelation like this. And he has not found a wineskin to pour it into. Until his eyes fall on Columbia, South Carolina, with a group of people who, for almost four years, have submitted to a process of a new wineskin. And it's not just, I, I mean, I'm gonna just give them a little bit of this. It's, this is what you were made for. And he just begins to pour and pour and pour. That's what I feel like right now. And I hope you all do too. Every time I, I could just flip my Bible to this, read five verses, and I'm laying in the floor lately because now it's like I've put on my glasses and I'm seeing what's really been here when Isaiah is prophesying a day hundreds of years down the road when God will put on flesh and dwell in his creation I see what Isaiah was saying I didn't before before God with us was just a response to our bad behavior now God with us is a response to God's desires and dreams for you and I that we had lost. And it is it's, that's different. That's different because now we've got a God who doesn't just tolerate us. We've got a God that doesn't just love us because he has to because of what happened at the cross and because we pre- repeated prayer. So now he's got to love us. We have a God who so desires us that even if we run as hard as we possibly can, he will seek until he finds. And in that, what I do not hear is a license to sin. I have zero desire to sin when I hear that. You know what I have desired? I have a desire to go so deep into places that my insecurity towards God never let me go. Y'all see what I'm saying? That there's a depth in God that when I saw it 10 years ago, I would look at that depth. I would look at that portion and I would say, I know that that is gonna be amazing, but I'm not good enough to go there. And what we're finding is now, as the insecurities fall away, we're looking into the deep that cries out to deep and we're saying, I was made for this and jumping in. And what we're finding in the depth is not a God who is mad and angry and ready to punish. We find a God in the depth that is so in love with us, he refuses to let us live lower than what we actually are. Veda has a lot of questions right now. And uh, the other day, she said, um, she said, how big is, is Jesus? (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, um, you, you know what I mean? Like, this journey asks, yes, yeah, all the time, yeah. Um, I'm sure Sue does too. It's like just, you know, how? She, the one thing that she actually taught me, she said, how does Jesus live in my heart? And I said, that's a great question. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? As if we gave God permission to come live in all tiny time little hearts. That shows us what we think about God, right? He's about this big. And... um, <laughs> <laughs> we call it our spirit man living on the inside of us. And Plato love, would love that, but not God. Um, oh, brother, what's your spirit man saying? Well, I ain't got a spirit man. I got a man. That's about it. But anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, like the little angel on your shoulder and devil on another shoulder, talking back and forth. Um, but she asked me, that, she said, "How big is Jesus?" And I was, you know, was like ah, just big and uh you know (laughs) i don't know know. and uh and anyway but her the way that she processes stuff is um she saw i forget where we were but she saw after this was right after she asked this um a a group of kids playing and stuff like that and anyway she for some reason she felt like one kid was kind of getting left out of whatever they were playing and um and she says something to the effect, a couple weeks ago, as we were on our walk, something to the effect of um, uh, she's gonna be okay, Jesus will play with her or something like that. And, but it, but it just, it has struck me lately that she's learning about a God from childhood that is very different than the God that I, I was taught. Not because my parents were wanting to teach me bad stuff. It's just all we knew. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like, what? what is our kids, when they get 20, when they get 30, what are they gonna know about God that we don't know? Because they've been in this discovery from day one. You know what I'm saying? And then it hit me, and the reason I'm saying this, that is what is at stake in this place. If we don't do this, all of our kids, and I don't, I don't mean to make, make this bigger than it is, but I kind of do, but if we don't do this, all of our kids growing up are, grow, are going to grow up being taught the same junk about a God who does not exist that they call Yahweh. Let me, let me ask you something. You know the song at... Who's in here? No kids. Okay. Anybody watching this that has kids, you might want to um, not listen to this next part. And that's legit what I'm about to say. At Christmas, you know the song... He sees you when you're sleeping. he knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good so you better be good for goodness sake. You better watch out, you better not cry. you better not pout I'm telling you why Santa's coming to town. Just think at Christmas and what do we tell what do we tell our kids? We say you better act right because Santa's coming i and when he comes, he's always watching. And when he comes, if you've been bad, you get cold. I'm about. I'm like. I know it's funny. This is what our kids are growing up being taught. But if you're good, you get presents. But that happens to happen at the same time as Christmas. When Christ becomes flesh and dwells among us and we transfer our belief about stuff like Santa onto Christ which says he sees you when you're sleeping he knows when you're awake he knows if you've been bad or good so you better be good for goodness sake you better watch out you better not cry you better not pout I'm telling you why Christ is becoming flesh and and listen I know that's funny this is what's at stake. We we have an entire generation that believes if you're good, you get heaven, and if you're bad, you get coal. And if that's the case, if that's the case, my stocking is going to be slammed full of coal. But it's not. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a completely different narrative. Completely different narrative. That is what's at stake. Jesus is not a Santa who punishes people for being bad. Jesus is the representative of the Godhead who rescues people when they are bad. That's what I do for my daughter. If you being evil would give your kids good gifts, how much more will your father give give you the Holy Spirit when you ask? Y'all, this is is affecting me to my guts that, that I grew up all my life believing that if I was bad, I got this, but if I was good, I get this. And every time I messed up, you know how I felt? Like junk because I was getting what was coming to me. And if I... If I knew that God was not like, if God was a Father, that every single time I fell, He was right there to pick me back up, to pick up all the pieces and put me back together, you, a, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have fallen as much. But b, God only knows what would have happened around my life. So th- this is this is what's at stake, and, and I'm just going to pray that we this week will take the time to understand that the identity of God is crucial to the identity of us and God. Let me pray. Father, Son, Spirit, Lord, we honor you in this place. No one has ever loved me like you. No one has ever chased after me like you. And there is an awe and a wonder that I pray is returning to us in Jesus' name. I pray that there is a a wonder. There is a childlike faith that is returning to the body of Christ that says we we can't describe what we're experiencing, but it's right. I pray that this week that we will encounter Father, Son, and Spirit in a in a unique way that we've never encountered. I pray that we will wake up in the morning and we will just ask, Lord, let us hear into the conversation between Father, Son, and Spirit. Give us ears to hear what is being said between Father, Son, and Spirit. Lord, I I pray that that's what we'll start at. We'll start living in a way that in every moment we're engaging every part of the Godhead and we're doing it by way of Jesus Christ. Us seeing ourselves as lower than what we actually are is us seeing Jesus as lower than what he actually is. And I refuse to do both. And so, Lord, I pray that as we begin to submit ourselves to a preferential love towards you, that we will find ourselves seeing ourselves looking in the mirror as if we know who we are and we are convinced and confident in who we are. Lord, I pray that this, this lullaby effect would not happen in this church. We've gone through months of this at this point. And it's been centimeter after centimeter after centimeter of revelation. And Lord, I pray that that will not cause us to grow weary in this, but it will cause us to go so deep into what you're doing in us that we are never the same again. And so, We love you. We are yours. All of our desires are towards you. And I pray that you would unveil yourself and unveil who we are this week to us. In your name, amen.